Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So God is saying this, what breaks my heart is what I was ready to do for them. And they forfeited it all by their dumb decision to turn away from me. And I'm heartbroken. God is saying, I'm heartbroken because I wanted to fight against their enemies. I wanted to give them eternal life. I wanted to satisfy them on earth with the finest of wheat and honey out of the rock. Most unlikely place for honey to come. I wanted you to do all this for them, and all they had to do was just turn to me. All they had to do was just obey me. And I would have done it all. But they refused to listen. They refused to obey. And now all the good plans that I had for them, they're just shattered. Just because they wanted their own way instead of my way. They lost it all. And so in Isaiah 55.1, in Isaiah 55.1, we've been studying here, God invites men to come to him as the waters and drink. And they refuse to come, so they destroy themselves. There's such a common misconception today that man has, and that is that somehow God wants to hurt them. God wants to harm them. And that's not true. God wants to bless man. All man has to do is throw down the weapons of his rebellion, is throw them down against God, and turn to God in repentance and surrender to God and let God rule his life. You know, this just misconception that God wants to cast man into hell. It's not true. The reason why hell was created shows that God does not want to cast man into hell because the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on his right hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that is specifically prepared for the devil and his angels. The only reason that a man is cast into hell is because he's decided to join the devil and the angels, the enemies of God, instead of surrendering in repentance to God. Hell was not prepared for man. And when man is cast into hell, he ends in a place where he's not supposed to be. And can you imagine the response of man after landing in hell? In response is, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? This place was not made for me. I should not be here. And that's right. Man should not be in hell. Man has to fight his way against God to be cast into hell. Because God is the person, 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is, according to 2 Peter 3, 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the most painful fire, the fire that causes the most pain for man in hell is the fire of the knowledge that hell was not created for man, and that man should not be there. And can you imagine the question that demons, the devil, the demons ask man when he's cast there, what are you doing here? 
This place was not prepared for you. This place was prepared for us and the devil. You should not be here, but we tricked you into coming here to suffer with us for eternity. And all this is true because God did not want to cast anyone in hell. And at the cross, God made a great provision for all men to not be cast into hell. And so that's why the important question to recognize here, the important word I should say to recognize in verse one is the word ho, quick as a response, quick, everyone who is thirsty. Most people are lost because they don't respond to that one word, quick, and they delay and they procrastinate until it's too late. And then for verse four, and then verse one, we have these words where we've seen where it says, first, ho, means quick. Second, everyone, not just the Jews, not just religious people, everyone are invited. Third, thirsteth, as God's calls to the thirsty who aren't satisfied. And then fourth, the word come, as God's invitation is really to come to the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, when man hears God calling him, Man first thinks, well, what can I bring to God? i got to bring something to God. I mean, I've got some good works I can present before God. Maybe i got some money I can give to God. And so God makes it very clear that his invitation is to people who have nothing to offer God. And so man thinks he has to work his way, and man thinks that God will reward man for the eternal life for his good works, and God makes it clear. His invitation is for people who have no money. That means for people who are not coming to him with the good works in exchange for salvation. Like it says in Ephesians 2.9, Ephesians 2.9, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's the reason. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So verse one, the reason God invites only those who come to him with no money is because of 1 Corinthians 1.29. 1 Corinthians 1.29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Sinners, they don't have any money. Sinners, they don't have any the money of their good works to bring to God. They're just sinners. And the Lord said, those are the ones I'm inviting. In Mark 2.17, Mark 2.17, the Lord said, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he didn't come to call the good type of sinners, the good sinners. He came to call the other ones, the dirty, rotten kinds. The dirty, rotten sinners are the ones that have no money, no good works to offer God. And that's what made the difference between those religious people, very religious, who were barred from entering heaven. And the Lord Jesus talked about them in Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, when he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the question when we see this is that, What's wrong with preaching in Jesus' name? What's wrong with preaching in Jesus' name? What's wrong with casting out devils in Jesus' name? What's wrong with doing many wonderful works in Jesus' name? I mean, what's wrong with preaching and casting out devils and doing many wonderful works that result in Jesus saying, depart from me, you that work in iniquity? Well, nothing is wrong with those good works unless... A person is trusting in those good works 
as money to gain them entrance into heaven, which they were. Because they say, Lord, open to us. We do this. When the Lord Jesus said to them, I never knew you, he meant he never knew them as the only way that he does know people as their Savior, the Savior of dirty, rotten sinners. Unless a person comes to the Lord as a dirty, rotten sinner, then that person doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus is the Savior of dirty, rotten sinners that have no spiritual money to exchange for their way into heaven. So he says in verse 1, Come ye to the waters, he that hath no money. And this concept of coming to God with no money, it's here in this chapter, chapter 55 of Isaiah. And what's important about chapter 55 is that it comes after chapter 53. The number 55 comes after 53. Write that down. But it is Isaiah 53 where the great work of God has been accomplished And the great work of God in Isaiah 53 is summarized in the last verse of that chapter, Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah 53, 12, where it says, he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So the person who comes to the Lord Jesus is impressed with only one work. It's the work of Isaiah 53. It's not his work. It's the work of Isaiah 53, 12. He hath poured out his soul unto death. That's the work of our atonement. That's the work of atonement. So after this great work on the cross of Isaiah 53, then Isaiah 55 comes that explains that the blessings of God will now come, not from the works, but will now come from just believing in this great work that God did in Isaiah 53 on the cross. And this believing is not just a believing that this took place. It's a special believing that the Lord Jesus was referring to in John 3.16 when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believeth in him. There's a special Greek word in there, the word kai. And that means not just believe in him, but believe into him. That's the word kai means into. Believe into him. So the meaning of believing in John 3.16 is believing into, which means turning from self, surrendering before God, and obeying the Lord. This is the person who's coming to the Lord Jesus as a dirty, rotten sinner with no money, and he's not looking at his own works and his own righteousness because he knows the truth of Isaiah 64.6. Isaiah 64.6, we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, as in dirty and rotten. And we all do fade as a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. He knows he has no money. The publican knew he had no money because he knew he was a dirty, rotten sinner, and he came to God, and as a result of that, he was justified. But the self-righteous Pharisee, he didn't see himself as a dirty, rotten sinner. If you said to him, you're a sinner, the Pharisee said, why, what are you talking about? I'm not a sinner. Are you crazy? And this was all described in Luke 18, Luke 18.10, which says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes at all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes 
unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then the Lord said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So God's invitation is not only to those who come without money, but that they should buy without money. And he invites them. He says, buy wine and milk. And that's a message of getting abundance. Wine speaks of luxury, of what makes a person happy. In Psalm 104.15, Psalm 104.15, it says, wine makes glad the heart of man. And milk speaks of how God brings happiness as he promised. He said the land of Israel is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. There was a promise that he made to them as an oath. He says in Jeremiah 11.5, Jeremiah 11.5, that I may perform the oath which I swear unto your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is what God is saying here. You come with no money and you buy. You buy all these things. You buy the wine and the milk. No, it's not like you come there and you say, okay, you got to be here. Just go in the corner that says charity cases. That's fine. No, not at all. God says, here's a person who has no money. He should come to a market that is vast. The shelves are full. They're overflowing. And he goes on a buying spree. He doesn't have to pay for anything. And the only thing that the person gives in exchange for this is a special sacrifice, a special sacrifice that is described in Hebrews 13.15. Hebrews 13.15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That's the fruit of the lips, giving thanks to his name. So the correct sacrifice for those who have no money is a sacrifice of praise to God. And that's called the fruit of the lips. Now, so these are six very important words in this invitation that God gives. First is the word ho. Don't hesitate to respond because the Lord says in Luke 19.42, Luke 19.42, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. He goes on in that chapter. That chapter, Luke 19, is the heartbreak chapter. Luke 19.44, Luke 19.44, and shall lay even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. That was the tragedy. So he says, ho. Second word, everyone. It's an invitation to everyone in the whole wide world. No one is excluded. When John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus, he said in John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming to him and saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. 1 John 2.2, 1 John 2.2. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Everyone, ho everyone, thirsteth. The next word, thirsteth. This is an invitation for those who have been left behind by the world, They've been chewed up, spit out in the gutter, and they feel that thirstiness, that unsatisfaction in their soul. The Lord makes the invitation to them, just as Jehovah Jesus did in John 7.37. John 7.37, where in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And then the word, the fourth is the word come. It's an invitation to come to the person of the Lord Jesus. The decision that man makes and the Lord said to those who refused in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. And fifth, it's an invitation for no money. 
There's those who, who do not coming relying on their works. It's just like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And sixth, by milk, by wine and milk, it's an invitation to have. In James 4.2, James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. And so the Lord is saying by this, you know, you come, you buy milk and wine. He's making a challenge. He's saying, dare to ask, dare to obey. It's like God is saying, I dare you to obey. That's what he's saying in Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10, in the issue of giving to the Lord, he says, Malachi 3.10, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He's saying there, dare to obey. He says, Luke 6.38 is another dare to obey challenge. Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over, running over, for men shall give unto your bosom. For the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, God has been observing the response and really the lives of men. And he's seeing, as he looks at this, he's kind of amazed by how much energy is being wasted and, and how much life strength man is pouring out just to try to find satisfaction. And you can imagine God is he's looking at all this and he's scratching his head and he's saying, I don't get it. I just don't understand why so much energy is being put into what really doesn't satisfy in life. And so he especially looks at Israel he scratches his head, and I don't know if he's talking to maybe the angels, I don't know what. In Jeremiah 2.13, Jeremiah 2.13, he says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns, that could hold no water. In other words, God has so much more to offer than what can be found in a life apart from God. He says, look, I am the fountain of living waters, just like the Lord told the woman at the well in John 4.14, John 4.14, when he said, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, but the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is what David called God. He says in Psalm 36.9, Psalm 36.9, For with thee is a fountain of life. And so in Jeremiah 2.13, God said that his people had forsaken him, a fountain of living waters. And then they dig cisterns, they dig cisterns out. So how much better it is to get water from a flowing fountain than to try to hoard it in a cistern? And the problem with the cistern is that God's people dug these broken cisterns. Can you imagine how disappointing that would be? I mean, you know, it comes a time, it's the heat of the day, you really need the water, you open it up, it's dry. Just like the other day, I was on a plane, I opened up my laptop, and the battery was drained. But anyway, but it's very disappointing. And so much more when you need life-sustaining water. You can imagine God looking at all this activity, digging cisterns. The Lord is saying, I'm the fountain of living waters. So these question, this question that the Lord asks the people, wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not? It's very much like the searching question that the Lord Jesus asked in Mark 8.36, Mark 8.36, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And now the Lord asks each person to take a hard look at their lives and ask the question, what are you working for? It's interesting. If you ask people, what are you working for? What is the purpose of your life? 
Well, the typical, you know, you ask a question like that, what's the purpose of your life? What's going to bring you happiness? What's going to bring you peace? What's going to bring you contentment in life? So what are the kind of typical answers that you get to some of that? Well, you know, I work so hard so that my children, it's for my children, so they can have enough money so they don't have to grow up like I did. The problem is children really don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate it. And then I work so hard so that I'm able to retire, so I can retire comfortably. Problem is, they never make enough money to retire, so they die before they retire. I work so hard so that I can be happy. Trouble is, they're not happy. I work so hard so I can have new experiences, new adventures. And the trouble is, health gives out. Can't do that anymore. I work so hard so that when I leave this world, it'll be better than before I came. Problem is, the world's getting more and more rotten. It's getting worse. Doesn't matter whether you were here or not. I work so hard so that I can discover myself. Oh, boy, that's a problem. Because then the more you discover, the more horrible it is, you know. How much discovery can a dirty, rotten sinner be happy with, you know. So the question is, what is really the the purpose of your life? It's exactly the Lord's asking this question in verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not in your labor, for that which satisfieth not? And the reality is, is that the answer in all those questions, there's one problem, because there's one word that's missing in all those typical answers. You know, the word is God. God, it really is true, this first statement of this Westminster Catechism, it really is true. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, what does that mean, to glorify God? To glorify God means to praise him. The chief end of man is to praise him, the sacrifice of the lips. The chief end of man is to obey God. To glorify God means to obey God. The chief end of man is to worship God. To glorify God means to worship God. The glorify God means to have God as the first thought, the first thought in the mind. It really is to glorify God is really to have in a reality, to have a desire of this, the words of this hymn. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, say that thou art. Thou my best thought by day and by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. There's only one purpose. One purpose that satisfies man in life, and that's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that mean, to enjoy him forever? Psalm 1611 answers that question. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1715. Psalm 1715. As for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. For Psalm 21, 6, Thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance, the face of God. First Peter 1, 8, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Enjoying God forever means loving God the Lord Jesus Christ, so much that greatest desire we have is to see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grand invitation. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come buy wine, milk. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful invitation that you give. And it still holds today in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and a biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Sunday, April 7th. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 